Welcome to the City Edge Church podcast. For more information, please visit our website at cityedgechurch.org.au. We hope that you enjoy this message. Awesome. Well, I'm actually going to start by introducing and reading the Word of God straight up, and then I'm going to pray and we're going to kick into this message. And um, the passage of Scripture that I'm reading tonight is from Numbers 13. And uh, in Numbers 13, what's actually happened here is the Israelites, who were God's people, they've left their captivity in Egypt, and they've made their way through the wilderness, and now they're at the promised land. And so this is where that comes in. So let's just read it. You can see it on the screen behind me. So this is what it says. It says, The Lord now said to Moses, who was the leader at the time, he said, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. And so Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned. And this was their report to Moses. They said, we entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other man who had explored the land with him disagreed. They said, we can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. And so they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants. All right, let's just pray. Father God, I just thank you for tonight. God, I just pray for open hearts, open minds, soft hearts, but strong minds. Oh God, I just thank you that you have a word for each and every person here, God. And as we lean in as we come expectant to hear from you God I know that you will answer God most of all we honor you I pray Lord God that your word would most of all honor you tonight we love you in Jesus name amen Awesome. Well, something that you guys may not know about me is that I love theme park rides and I like the crazy theme park rides. So one of my favorite rides was the Wipeout. And I believe that it, I heard that it was decommissioned this year, but that was one of my favorite rides. And so a few years ago, we took some of our staff team down to Dreamworld as an end of year celebration. And uh, it was awesome. It was such a great day. We had a great time. We had two little kids sort of tagging along at that stage. Abby wasn't born yet. And it was so exciting to introduce them to the magic of Dreamworld. And then there came this time where I could actually go on a ride. So Paul and I, uh, the, the, our team, they looked after our kids. They weren't just wandering around the park. But so we lined up for this ride, and um, it is called the claw. Now, the claw is like it sounds. There's a picture up on the screen here. So a large metal arm hangs down to the place where the seats are situated. And when the ride starts, the claw lifts the, the seating up into the air, and it spins you around like every way possible, up, down, all around, back and forth, until at one point you are upside down looking over the Gold Coast. And it is awesome. And so we line up for this ride, and the line is slow moving, like really slow moving. I don't understand why they move so slow. but So we take a step and, and look up and, and turn around and talk to the people beside us and, and do that a million times until we got to the end. And when we got to the front of the line, 
I could see the, the previous group exiting the ride, and there was just such pure joy on their faces, such pure elation, like the, the adrenaline had been running. They were high-fiving each other. A bunch of guys ran back to the end of the line. They're like, let's do it again. This is so awesome. But then I took a step, I turned to the side, and I see this older man who perhaps didn't enjoy the ride as much as they did. He looked quite pale in the face, and then as I kept looking, he hunched over in the garden and he gagged and he gagged until he threw up everywhere. And um, I know you guys are so quiet and I can tell you're very empathetic because of your faces right now because you guys are thinking, you're like that poor guy, hope someone like helped him got him a drink of water, you know, got him a warm towel and an encouraging word. I know. But in this moment, I looked at him and I'm like, you know what? This is fantastic. This is fantastic. This is amazing. I nudge Paul. I'm like, check this guy out. This is, this is hilarious. This was amazing. I, and the reason that I thought this was fantastic is because this man came to the start of the line and he had made the decision to play or not to play. He had made the decision to own his moment or to back away, to give it his all or to bail out halfway. And he entered, he began, he rode the ride and embraced his fear and he gave it everything he had. And they didn't stop the ride early. I don't know if they would have, if they could have, and um, or could have if they would have, whatever. And it was awesome. It was so awesome. You see, parenting is a lot like this. In the lead up to being uh, being a a, a parent, you know, all your single and your pre-child friends are like, "You're going to be an amazing parent." You are amazing. I just see how you are with like that goldfish that you have, such care, such attention, you know, it's thriving, it's gorgeous, so much affection towards that goldfish as, as much as you can give it. And you know, that tree in your house, it's green and it's flourishing and it's so beautiful. I mean, how do you, how do you even do that? And I mean, they don't know that the plant's artificial and that's your third goldfish in as many months. You know, and then... You've heard that kids, maybe you guys haven't, but I'm going to tell you, the Bible says that children are an inheritance for the Lord, from the Lord. That means that they are a blessing, like kids are a blessing from the Lord. Inheritance means good thing. But then you get on the ride, aka you have your first kid, and um, you're going 100 miles an hour like the claw being thrown up and down in every way. And when you feel like you've just got a handle on it, that kid changes. You hit a bump in the road, there's a sudden challenge. And um, you hit your, your head on the steel bar and all of a sudden the ride starts again. You know, and sometimes you're exiting the ride and you're high-fiving your spouse, you're high-fiving the mums in your mums group, the dads in your life group, and you're like, my kid is awesome. I'm smashing it at life at the moment. They are amazing. And um, there's other days when parenting is just like throwing your guts up in the garden. It is. You see, you've entered the promised land, but you've discovered that giants live there. Let me explain. Throughout our lives, God is going to bring you to promised lands. You live in Australia. 
This is an amazing, amazing country. We are absolutely blessed to live in it. But you know, God's gonna bring you promised lands in your life. The dream job, the dream marriage, the dream home, the kids, uh, the, the running of your own business, the ministry position, you know, that first job as you finish university, your first professional job, I remember that, that was awesome. Maybe the prodigal child returning, the promised land, and the dream becomes a reality, and it's exciting, and it's fun, and we've prayed for it, we've worked for it, we've believed for it, we've cried over it, and then it comes, and it is awesome. But then all of a sudden, like the Israelites in the scripture earlier, we discover that there are giants in the land. There is opposition in the land. And the promised land, once you're in it, it all of a sudden, it doesn't look so promising. You know, maybe that, that new career you started, that dream job, you discover that the previous line manager you had, they screwed up a whole lot, and now you're the one that's got to clean that up doesn't look so promising. You know, maybe that promised marriage that you've finally been waiting for, you finally get married and then all of a sudden you discover that there are bumps in the road. You know, maybe that business that you've started, it's not long before you realize that I have to invest a lot of my own personal resources, my own personal finances in, in order to get this thing off the ground. And then the prodigal child returning, it's great but it means there's a whole lot of past that's gotta be worked through. And you know, we see giants and we question whether this was really God to begin with. How could we be so wrong? And by the way, why is it so difficult? The thing is, is that somewhere along the way, we have bought into the idea that if something is from God, then it must be easy. It should just work. Like all the doors should be open. Everyone should like us and praise us for our amazingness. You know, it should be easy and fun and exciting and rewarding and glamorous. And I should be 100% confident all of the time. But the truth is, is that there will be giants in your land. There are going to be giants in your land. On this side of eternity, if you are taking land for God, there are going to be giants. But as a church, as a believer, you need to understand, we need to understand that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and we are fighting a spiritual battle. The truth is, guys, that regardless of that, you are called to be a giant slayer. You are called to enter the promised land. You are called to live strong with Jesus to overcome and take the land for God. And so tonight, my message is called Possessing the Promise. I'm gonna look at two things that we need to do to possess the promises of God in our lives. There's a whole bunch more, but I'm just focusing on two. And so my first point tonight is don't put a question mark where God has put a full stop. I know. Just ponder on that for a minute. Don't put a question mark where God has put a full stop. Okay, so in this story with the Israelites, by the time they've actually made it to the promised land, God has done significant miracles in their life, like significant. Like they, they left Egypt, they were like, 
heaps of plagues and they plundered Egypt when they left. The Egyptians were just giving them like all their cash and all their gold and stuff. They're like, get out of here. So they absolutely plundered Egypt. You know, God parted the Red Sea. God gave them miraculously, miraculously food and, and water in the desert. God led them by a, a cloud by day, a fire by night. Like miraculous, significant things. But then they get to the promised land and they see these giants. They see this opposition. And so the spies in the scripture that I read earlier, the spies bring this report to the Israelites. And I want you to listen to their response. Numbers 14, this is what it says. It says, and then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? I mean, man, these guys are upset. Like they're upset. They cried all night. You know, they traveled all this way there and now there are giants. I mean, have you ever been like this? You're like, God, why is that giant there? You know, why, why am I facing this? Why did, why did that happen? This is not what I expected. Why is being a parent so hard? You know, why, you know, I thought being a Christian was supposed to be easy. Have you guys ever thought that? Yep. Yeah, me too. But what I wonder most is how these guys could go from experiencing all these amazing, amazing, tangible, significant miracles to being overcome with fear, doubting that God could do what he said he would do. And what happened in this moment is something that we go through every single day. It's a choice that we are faced with every single day. See, what happened was the Israelites put a question mark where God had put a full stop. See, God said to them, I'm gonna take you to the promised land. It's gonna flow with milk and honey. It's gonna be great, full stop. That's it. No ifs, no buts, nothing else. But as they look into the land and they see giants, the vision of their giants becomes bigger than their vision of God. The truth of their situation becomes greater than their truth that God had given them. Their expectations on how God should help them enter the land, those expectations are not the, the expectations or not the plan that God actually wants for them. And so suddenly they, they begin to question the word that God had given them. In verse 3, we can put that slide back up. The Israelites say, did he bring us out here to die in battle? See, what they were thinking was, was God actually ever really going to do this for us? Like, was he really going to fulfill that promise? And when they said, you know, wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Like, that would be the better option. What they were actually thinking was, does God really want the best for us? Like, does God really want to do good things in our lives? And as soon as they allowed their truth, so their truth, which was their circumstance, to question God's truth, they doubted his intentions and his heart toward them. 
And when they doubted God's intentions toward them, the enemy had an entry point into their heart. Now, I'm not talking about the enemy is in the giants. The enemy is in Satan had an entry point into their heart. And when that happened, confusion arose, fear arose, and then fear established the boundary of their freedom. Fear established the boundary of their advancement. Fear established their level, not God's promise. And from there, they retreated. And it was like 40 years before God even brought them back to try again to enter the promised land. You see, friend, One of the biggest tactics the enemy is gonna use to stop you from advancing, to stop you from living in the promises of God for your life. So God's promises as outlined in his word, his promises of peace, his promises of joy, his promises of walking in freedom from your past, promises of influence, promises of of confidence and peace. The biggest tactic is using the giants in our lives, the internal giants in our mind, and our external giants to cause us to question God's word. And you know, we know this to be true about the enemy because when Satan came to Eve in the Garden of Eden in the form of a serpent, we can be, you know, we can probably assume that he wasn't there because he felt really lonely that day because he just wanted someone to hang out with and she seemed pretty nice and she looked great. We can assume he wasn't lonely and wanted someone to hang out with. I heard it too, it's okay. And um, we can assume he wasn't there to clarify the word that God had given her. Because God said to Eve, he said, you must not, I mean, you can eat, he started like this, you can eat of every tree in the garden. They're amazing, they're good for food, they're all these amazing things. So you can eat of all of those. Just don't eat of that tree or you're gonna die. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So that was the word, the commandment that he had given Eve. And um, we can assume that Satan did not want clarity on the word from God. The reason that he was there is because he wanted her to fall. See, Satan says to her, he goes, did God actually say that? Like, did God, did he say that you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? And she's like, well, well, no, he actually didn't say that. He he said, I just couldn't eat of that tree. And um, the thing was, Satan's tactic was to get her to engage with him, to get her to become curious about what God said. You see, so she starts thinking, well, maybe that's not what he meant. Maybe he, like, it's not as bad as what he said when he said die. He probably, you know, meant get indigestion or something like that. That's what, that's what God really meant. So like, maybe it's okay. But Satan, he follows up these thoughts with a distorted view of God's intentions toward her. He he says, no, you're not going to die. That thing that God told you, he's he's kind of like lying. He's stretching the truth. You're actually going to become wise like him. And so what he's actually saying is God is withholding good from you. He knew that if he could get her to doubt God's intentions of goodness towards her, that he would have an entry point into her heart and then she would fall. And that's exactly what happened. James 1, verse 5 to 8 says it like this. I'm going to read it to you. It says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, hello, that's, that's all of us, that's me every day. He says, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But... But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. 
For the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. All right, straight up. This is the key. If the enemy can keep you in a place of confusion about God's word, if he can keep you in a place of confusion about his heart towards you, about who you are in him, about the good that he wants to do in your life, he has essentially won the battle. Because in this state of survival, you won't be able to pray big prayers of faith over your kids. You won't take authority over the enemy, over those things in your life. You won't take risks for God. But what will happen is that you'll remain in a place of scarcity. And scarcity is like a fear that what I do have is going to be taken from me. See, in this place, you end up standing in the middle ground Uh, between faith and unbelief, not really moving forward, not taking ground, not laying a hold of the promises of God in his word. It's just like standing in a theme park line, waiting for the ride, but never actually moving forward and not leaving the line either. See, church, God moves through a heart of faith, even just a seed of faith, a heart that chooses to trust his truth. And I want to tell you that God may not always meet your expectations. He certainly hasn't met all my expectations in life, even though I've thought, you know, that was a pretty like strategic plan. He has never actually met those in my life, but he will always, always meet the expectations of his word. He says, he says, trust me, trust me when your circumstances don't line up with his truth that he says in the word. He says, trust me that my truth is the greater truth. He says that even if your situation isn't good because we live in a world that is corrupted by sin, even if what's going on in your life isn't good, he will turn it around for good for you because he is good, because he loves you, because he is faithful and a good God, because he is good and he does good things. For all those parents here today, maybe not even parents, maybe everyone, he The work that he has begun in your family, he will continue it until completion. If we remain in him. If we are going to take the promised land, one of the biggest giants we have to conquer is the one that puts a question mark where God has put a full stop, where God has made a statement. And my second point tonight is truth becomes truth when it's lived. You see, 40 years later, the Israelites, they did have an opportunity to come back to the promised land because God is good and he is faithful. And they do actually make it into the promised land. They cross the Jordan, they make it into the promised land and it's great. They start, you know, pushing out the enemies. And there comes a point in the journey where God tells Joshua to, to assign an allotment of land for each tribe of Israel. So he like a, like a block of land. So every tribe of Israel gets like this, this block of land. But the tribes of uh, the descendants of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, they looked at their land and they were like, you know what? This land is not going to do. It's like there's still enemies there. There's still giants. You know, this, it, this land is not going to do. It's not going to meet our needs. And so they go to Joshua and they're like, mate, like you're one of us. Like you're from our tribe. Can you just... Can you just like go back to God and see if he can give me something else? And uh, this is what the Bible says 
So they come, so the people of Joshua said, uh, people of Joseph said to Joshua, why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for our inheritance? We are a numerous people and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. Joshua answered them and said, if you are so numerous and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, go up into the forest and clear the land for yourselves. The people of Joseph replied, they said, the hill country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who were the enemy who lived there in the plain, they have chariots fitted with iron. But Joshua said to the tribes of Joseph, he said, you are numerous and very powerful. You will have not only one allotment, but the forested hill country as well. Clear it and its farthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have chariots fitted with iron, and though they are strong, you can drive them out. I love that, you can drive them out. You see, Joshua, Joshua knew the word of God, and the word was that the Israelites in their entirety were to occupy the land and to possess the land and to push the enemy out. He had charged every single tribe of Israel with the same, same promise of God. And so when the descendants of Joseph come to him and they're like, mate, this is not going to do. The giants are too big. Joseph's, uh, Joshua's like, uh-uh, nah, not today. This mindset is not coming back. This story, this old script is not coming back because 40 years ago, the guys that didn't enter the promised land, they said the giants were too big and now they're not here to possess the promise. He's like, if you wanna be a part of this, you have to live your truth and not just, not just the other tribes, but you have got to live it as well and not just at the start, at every single point along the way. See, these guys came to Joshua. They hoped he could fix the situation. But for the Israelites, in the same way for us, we, they needed to become the hero in their own stories. The truth of the Word of God would only become truth if it was lived, if it was acted upon, and not just by the people around them, but by them as well. You know, guys, sometimes we look at the giants in our life and instead of realizing what is in us, what God has placed in us, we conclude that somehow other people got more God than us. Like other people, they got more access to God, they got more anointing, they got more favor, like God likes them more. We conclude that somehow they got more God than us. And because they do, they should clear the, the giants in our land. They should clear it for us. You see... Joshua was their leader and they thought, you know what, he should do this because he started this thing. So he should do this for us. But it comes to a point in all of our Christian walks where we have to take responsibility to be the hero in our own stories. I want to tell you, no one watches a romantic comedy and thinks that they're the best friend. No girl watches a romantic comedy and imagines that they're the best friend. No guy watches Star Wars and thinks, it'd be so cool to be Yoda. Like, they wanna be Luke Skywalker. You know, we gotta be the heroes in our own story. We have to confront the internal and the external giants in our lives, the giants that are gonna try to take out your kids, your kids' health, your mindset, your future. 
And sometimes God will actually allow the no's in your life. He will orchestrate the no's. He will orchestrate the closed doors. That person that you usually go to for coffee when you're feeling upset, all of a sudden they are not available. God will orchestrate the no's in your life for you to realize that what He has placed in you is enough and you have got what you need to rise strong and to take the land, to push out the enemy and to stand. Guys, God knows what He put in you. God knows already how your story is going to end. And He will use the giants. He didn't cause the giants, but He will use the giants to show you, to reveal to you what is in you. And you know, if you're anything like me, you're probably going to try to find the easy way out. You know, I'm sure we've, got all, we've all got a bit of Joseph in us. You know, just give me an easy, just Ask God, like, it's not hard. Get me another block of land. Like, there's, like, heaps. You know, maybe if I had a different assignment, I could totally smash somebody else's assignment. But God, the assignment you've given me, like, it's really hard. You know, maybe if I was married to a different woman, different man, I would totally take the land. Maybe if my kids were easier to manage, maybe if I had those ones that sleep through the night, that would be cool. I would totally take the land. We're going to always try to find excuses on why we can bail. But God is looking past our perceived inadequacies. He knows the authority he already won at the cross. And God says to us, God says to you, God says to me, he says, greater, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we can't keep looking at our circumstances to, to, to determine how big God is. We cannot keep looking at our circumstances to determine here how big God has actually called us to be. We have to stop letting fear determine the level of our lives. We have to stop letting our past dictate our future potential. When God has called us, God has called you to greater levels of influence, greater levels of freedom and wholeness, and greater levels of devotion. We have to act. We have to act. We have to be the heroes in our own story. You see, action is what reduces fear and promotes courage. It's not just learning more stuff. It's action. John Maxwell says, be willing to do it afraid and eventually you'll become qualified. We got to know we're in a spiritual battle, guys. But God has given us every weapon that we need. He has given us worship. I mean, how awesome was it tonight? What an amazing band. He's given us worship for warfare. He's given us the blood of Jesus. He's given us salvation and the Holy Spirit, something the Israelites didn't have. He's given us prayer. But it is our job, it is your job to start to apply those things in your life so you can overcome we must overcome. You know, I think becoming a mum was the most exciting moment in my entire life. It was also the most terrifying. And it was terrifying not because of the lack of sleep or the cost of kids, and it's huge, especially if you have a girl. Like, it, it wasn't because of any of those things. It was terrifying 
because of the fear. The fear that I had something in my life, something that I had believed for for years, that I loved more than anything in this life. I loved more than my own life. I didn't think it was possible. And I, it, I was fearful because at any point it could be taken away because there are no guarantees in this life. And so when Josiah was a baby, I developed like this extreme sports version of sleep talking. And um, so most nights I would dream that Josiah was falling out of our bed and, um, or that he was suffocating in the covers. And I didn't put him to bed in our bed. He was in his cot, but still I had these dreams. And so I would frantically search in the covers, like frantically. I would push Paul out of the road. I'd punch him. I'd just throw off the covers, whatever it took. I'd be like, where is he? Where is Josiah? This one night I jumped out of bed and started looking through the cupboard, like there's a kid in the cupboard. I don't know how that happened, but that's what I did. And uh, until, until I would inevitably wake up. Paul got really good at this though. He never really avoided the first punch. Uh, but as soon as I started thrashing around, he would say, it's okay. Josiah's in his cot. He's safe. He's asleep. You can go back to sleep. You see, the thing was, is that fear had gripped me because I'd started to question God's promise of children in my life. I, I started to question God's intentions. I started to question God, God's love toward me. Like, did he really want good things for my life? Like, did he really? Or was I just waiting for the rug to be pulled out from under my feet? And there came a point where I realized that fear had distorted my view of God's nature and had corrupted my ability to trust him in this area of my life. I felt like I could trust him in other areas of my life, but who knows that the enemy is gonna use the areas of your life where you trust him the least to get a foothold into your life. Maybe it's not kids, maybe it's rejection. You know, maybe it's a different area that the enemy's gonna use to get a foothold in your life. And that fear kept me in confusion and it kept me from peace. But I knew that the Holy Spirit was calling me to start believing God at his word again, to start re-engaging the truth. But I had to do something about it. You see, no one was there as the sun started setting and dread set in. I used to dread the night. No one was there in the middle of the night when fear would start to speak. And no one else was called or anointed to be this child's mother but me. If I wanted to walk in freedom, I had to do something. See, I had to know the Word of God. I had to know that for God so loved the world, and that included my son. I had to know that he had plans for his life, and they were for good. Jeremiah 29.11. I had to stop playing out worst-case scenarios in my mind. You know, as mums, why do we do this? You see a car swerve on the road in front of you and all of a sudden you're planning your funeral and wondering who your husband's gonna marry. You know, we gotta stop that. I had to stop engaging fear and believe God at his word, binding the enemy and declaring his truth as the truth. That God had not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 
know, there were times I had to lift my hands and worship. I didn't want to. I didn't feel like it. But it was an act of faith in spiritual warfare. I had to receive. I think um, Pastor Paul talked about receiving the breath from God. I don't know if he did. He probably should have. No. <laughs> we have to lift our hands in worship to receive the breath of God. You know, Lisa Turkhurst says, no one minds giving CPR to somebody in crisis, but that is not the way we are supposed to draw our breath. We are not supposed to live on secondhand breath. We are supposed to receive our breath direct from the Father. And at one point, it was just me saying, either God is real or he's not. But if he's real, then his word is real. And then I have to allow it to be my truth. And you know, it came to a point where the nightmares stopped. Thank you, Jesus. The fear subsided and God's truth spoke louder. And now Paul is, is reasonably safe when he sleeps unless he takes the blankets. It's the truth. You know, friend, God has given you what you need to stand strong, to to take the land, to push the enemy out, to possess the land. If you are a parent here, God has called you and God has anointed you for that position. You know, sometimes it's remembering that. Sometimes it's learning it for the first time. Maybe it's talking to someone who's got victory in this area already. And it's not about them bailing you out. It's about them leading you out and leading you through. And it's falling and it's failing and it's getting back up and it's starting again. It's drawing a line in the sand that says, not today, devil. That's not who I am. I'm not going 40 years out of this promise of God. I'm gonna stand in this promise and I'm gonna possess my land because my truth is not what I feel sometimes. It's not what I think. My truth is the truth of God. And it's standing in that. You know, there's some people, I believe there are some people here today and you've had a word from God for your life, for your family, but you've let the truth of your circumstances speak louder. You've let the truth of the giants speak louder and, God, and the enemy has kept you in confusion and he has kept you in fear. And you felt like you've been in this holding pattern. You haven't stepped forward. You haven't backed out of it. And I believe that tonight, that tonight is your opportunity to say, you know what, God, I'm just going to believe you at your truth. Because what would happen? What would happen if you actually believe God at his word? What would happen if we as a church stopped questioning the word of God for our lives? We stopped putting question marks and started reinstating the full stops. What would happen if every single one of us acted and said, I'm gonna apply this to my life. What would this church look like? I wanna tell you, we are doing amazing and this is an amazing, amazing church. And if you don't have a church home, City Edge Church is a great church home. But even in that, what would it look like? What would it look like if we could take that step? God has called us to possess the promised land. God has called us to rise strong and take the land. Let's just pray. Father God, I just thank you. I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you, Lord God, that you love City Edge Church. You love this church. Every visitor, every guest that is here tonight, God, it is not by accident. It is because you had a word for them in season. And Lord God, I just pray. 
over families, over moms, over dads. I thank you that you would lead us in what you've called us to. I pray that confidence would be reinstated where it has been lost. I pray that the breath of God would breathe afresh this week as we go about our week, that we would sense the tangible presence of God. God, we love you and we choose you every time. I thank you, Lord God, would you have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.